Would you open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can grab a Bible from in front of you and you can find Mark, chapter 1, on page 836. Hear the word of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you this morning hearing your word, and we rejoice in your word. We rejoice in Jesus Christ, the great preacher, the one who has beautiful feet, who has drawn near to us and announces in our ears, your God reigns. Oh, Father, this morning we we ask and we plead with you that the news that Jesus announces that the time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God is at hand would, would pierce our very hearts this morning. That we would be able to peer into your word this morning and grasp hold of what this kingdom means and what is so good about it. Why it's called good news. Father, as we hear the words of Jesus, would you move us to be a people of repentance and faith? Would we be a people who turn from every other kingdom, turning to the kingdom of God and putting our faith directly upon the Christ, the Son of God. So Father, we ask that you would help us now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We need your help. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. The Gospels are like a double-edged sword. They are marvelously simple, and they are so complex. The Gospels are simple enough that you can read them to your children, and you can hand them out to the, the unbelieving inquirer who's interested in Christianity. And in the Gospels, we find a, a seeming anthology of Jesus' words and acts, We read stories of Jesus walking on water. We find Jesus multiplying loaves and fish. We read comforting words about Jesus. And we hear comforting words come from our Lord's mouth to us. We see page after page of miracle stories. Jesus heals a leper. Jesus heals a blind man. Jesus heals a mute man. Jesus heals a paralytic. And finally, we're led to a Roman cross and we see an empty tomb. But on the other hand, these same Gospels we read to our children and we hand out in in evangelism are inexhaustibly complex. There there are puzzles in them and paradoxes throughout. In one scene of the Gospels, we find Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomes these people of disrepute near him. 
But in the next scene, we hear him preaching a high and demanding message. He, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And we can begin to wonder, how, do, how does this fit together? In one scene, we, we see Jesus welcoming the little children, and he says, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but then we hear Jesus preaching in parables. The message of the kingdom is shrouded. And Jesus explains his pedagogy, why he's preaching in parables. He says that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What's going on here? With all this going on in the Gospels, with Jesus doing all of these things, saying all these things, we have to ask, is there a center to it all? Is there a controlling principle in the Gospel of Mark that unites Jesus' ministry? Or is the Gospel of Mark just an anthology of Jesus' finest works and sayings? Is it like the greatest hits album? Is there a theme that will help us understand the seeming paradoxes and allow us to to piece together Jesus and all that he does and all that he says? And we can assert this morning that the Gospel of Mark is not an anthology. It's not the the greatest hits of Jesus. It's not full of random stories spliced together. It's not a mind-numbing puzzle. Rather, Mark brings us to the unifying principle of Jesus' ministry in verses 14 and 15. Mark records for us. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And Mark keys us in here in these two short verses. Everything that Jesus does, his preaching, his teaching, his healing, his many acts of mercy, his visible displays of power over nature and demons, even his death upon the cross, And the empty tomb is centered on and only makes sense in light of this kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God dominates Jesus' passions and his energies. Jesus cannot stay in one place, for he must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns. Jesus is like a sower who is intent on scattering the seed of the kingdom wherever he goes. And Jesus gives careful instruction to his disciples so that they would understand the the secret of the kingdom. And he pushes and prods his disciples so that they would sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom. And he warns his disciples and he he warns us this morning of of sin and its incredibly deceitfulness. And he does it so that we would not be disqualified from sharing in the blessings of the kingdom. Jesus says, If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. And Jesus calls the weary, the humble, the sinner to enter into the kingdom of God. He teaches the kingdom is for the childlike. But he warns his hearers and he warns us. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, entrance into the kingdom of God depends solely upon the supernatural working of this God. Jesus tells us, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He endures suffering and shame with his eyes set upon the kingdom of God. He tells his disciples, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So if the kingdom of God unites all that Jesus does, all that he says, his whole ministry, we have to make it our aim this morning to grasp hold of this kingdom of God and and figure out what Jesus means by it. As Mark does so often, he doesn't give us a nice and neat definition of the kingdom of God. But he does give us some clues, and if we're sensitive and careful readers, we can follow his clues and we can gain an understanding of this kingdom. So in verses 14 and 15, the Lord Jesus comes into Galilee, and he's doing a very specific work. He's doing a work of a preacher, a herald. He's crying out the news. And this news that he trumpets is a very specific news. It's about God and God's kingship. And so we can ask this morning, where have we heard about a preacher and the announcement of good news about God and his kingdom before? We can turn on our concordances in our minds and search the the scriptures. Where have we heard about a preacher and his preaching Well, Isaiah 52 should come to our minds this morning. In Isaiah 52, Isaiah speaks about the arrival of a preacher and the message that the preacher announces. And when we look into Isaiah 52, this preacher that Isaiah tells us about is eerily similar to that of the Lord Jesus in what the Lord Jesus says. Chapter 52, verse 7, Isaiah describes this messenger. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah pictures a glorious scene here. He pictures a man and this man is running towards a city and there's a spring in his step and there's joy written all over him. And the people of the city look out and they see this man approaching and they're made glad by his appearance. So glad that they consider the feet of this man beautiful. And when the messenger draws near to the city gates, they can hear this man shouting his news, peace, happiness, salvation. And the people start considering the news of the messenger. Peace. Well, the time of warfare has ended. Salvation. The oppressors have been destroyed. Happiness. Joy is going to be coming to our hearts. And the city gates are finally opened and the messenger, the herald, comes into the town and he boldly announces his message with clarity. Your God reigns. Now Isaiah's glorious scene continues. The news of God's kingship spreads like wildfire throughout the town. Your God reigns. The shops close. The people quit their work. The people climb up on the city walls and they gaze out. They look in expectation and what do they see? Isaiah records in verses 8 through 10. The voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. 
and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The people of this city do not just hear the the glad tidings, peace, happiness, salvation. They do not just hear the news about God that the messenger announces. Your God reigns. Verse 8 tells us, For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. We could flip back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, and Isaiah says, Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. What's Isaiah saying here? He's saying the God who spoke with Abraham, the God who wrestled with Jacob, the God who appeared in the burning bush to Moses, the God who thundered from Sinai, is going to draw near to his people once again. The inhabitants hear the news of the herald. They hear the preaching and they they climb up on the city walls. And what do they see? Well, they see the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob approaching the city. Isaiah tells us, For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. And the preacher announces, Your God reigns. This blessed news announced by the herald, this news that caused the people to look out with expectation is just not another headline. We live in the 24-7 news cycle where headline after headline after headline comes at us. This news that the herald announces is not like another story rolling through our Facebook news feed. It's here for the moment, but it's going to be gone tomorrow. We'll never be able to find it again. Rather, what the herald announces is the news to end all news. The king has come. And Isaiah works hard to plant the significance of this news in our minds and in the minds of his hearers. He conjures up the weightiest expressions and metaphors and illustrations, and then he parades all of these things before us so that the news might settle upon our hearts with weight. Isaiah goes on to write about this news that this herald announces in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 54, Isaiah says, The salvation that the Lord is going to bring is greater than the days of Noah. Isaiah writes, This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you. My steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed greater than the days of Noah. And this news is so great, Isaiah tells, it, tells us that it will eclipse the very glory of creation. The sun will seem dim and the moon will be insignificant in light of this king. Isaiah reasons in chapter 60, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. And the happiness of this news, the happiness of this day and what it means will outstrip any celebration. Every wedding with all the glory and all its happiness, every party, every birthday will look pale in comparison to this great day when the king comes. Isaiah points us in chapter 62. He says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your God rejoice over you. While Isaiah wrote and preached about these things, 
this glorious story. He and his hearers never got to see the dawn of this great day. They never met the messenger with beautiful feet, nor did they hear the precious shouts, peace, happiness, salvation. Nor did they see with their eyes the return of the Lord to to Zion. They could only recite the story to each other over and over again. When doubt would creep up on them, is God going to come through his promises? Don't you remember the story that Isaiah told us? They'd go back to the Word and and read the story again, looking in expectation for this, this great coming day. So we can ask this morning, what is the kingdom of God? From Isaiah's story about the preacher and his message, we can begin to pick up several threads about what the kingdom of God is. In Isaiah's story, there's a, a preacher and a proclamation. There's a hope of salvation for the people of God. There's the destruction of God's enemies. There's peace. There's happiness. There's the appearance of God himself. There's his kingship. And then there's his glory even to the ends of the earth. Everybody's going to see it. So we can begin to take these threads from Isaiah and his story and we can weave them together into one coherent thought this morning. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the climax of Israel's end-time hope that God himself would come and reign over them in salvation, in judgment, with the ultimate aim that God would be glorified in all things. It's a big, heady definition. There's a lot of meat in the sandwich. The kingdom of God is the climax of Israel's end-time hope that God himself would come and reign over them in salvation and judgment with the ultimate aim that God would be glorified in all things. So we want to take several bites out of this definition and work through it chunk by chunk so we can digest it and figure it out. And even more importantly, we want to apply this definition of the kingdom of God to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We want to see how Jesus fills out the expectations of Isaiah and how this definition comes to fulfillment in the ministry of Jesus. So we can take our first bite out of this big definition. The kingdom of God is the climax of Israel's end-time hope. What does this mean? Well, we can compare and contrast the ministry of John with the ministry of Jesus. John comes preaching in the Gospel of Mark with a very particular message. Verses 7 and 8, John says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John has a very particular aim, a very particular perspective in his preaching. He is looking forward. He is looking ahead. He preaches of one who is coming. He preaches of one who is greater. And in this way, John is just like all the other Old Testament prophets. He's like all the prophets who strained their eyes to see what was coming next. They had promises, but they could not see the fulfillment, and they they looked ahead. And John is just like the prophet Joel. And Joel preached with eager anticipation. Joel said, And it shall come to pass afterward that I shall pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And John is just like the prophet Malachi who announced, For behold, the day is coming. 
John is just like Isaiah who wrote, a redeemer will come to Zion. And John is like Ezekiel who prophesied, that will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. But when we come to our Lord's preaching, it stands out in bold contrast. While John and Joel and Malachi, Isaiah and Ezekiel looked ahead while they anticipated what was coming next. Their preaching was full of the the future tense, shall and will. The Lord Jesus speaks differently. He announces the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus makes clear as he shows up into Galilee that Israel's end time hope is not off in the far distance. Jesus speaks differently than all the prophets. He speaks of fulfillment. He speaks of nearness. He speaks of presence. Jesus proclaims that the end has broken into the present. The end has broken into the now time. Israel was looking ahead with longing for the days that Isaiah prophesied of. They yearned for the arrival of God. They hoped to see this God's mighty works. And Jesus comes into Galilee preaching. What Jesus says must fall upon us with, with great weight this morning. Jesus' words here announce that the day greater than Noah's has finally arrived. Jesus proclaims that the glory that will eclipse the beauty of creation that will make the sun and the moon look dim has appeared in his ministry. He heralds that that happiness that will make every wedding look pale and dreary has come in him. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the significance of Jesus' preaching echoes across history and echoes across the New Testament. All preaching because of the preaching of Jesus has fundamentally changed. In light of Jesus, the Apostle Paul can proclaim in Galatians chapter 4. The time has changed. He, He writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The fullness of time. In Hebrews chapter 1, reasons. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus' preaching marks the turning of the ages. From expectation to fulfillment. And Jesus' preaching even burrows into our hearts We can ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian this morning? What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be in the kingdom of God, a participant in this? As Christians, we are fundamentally an end-time people. That's how we should conceive of our identity. We're end-timers. Now, to be an end-time Christian doesn't mean that we build bunkers underground. I don't know if you remembered the Y2K incident, but that came to my house, and my parents stocked up on dehydrated milk and gas for for generators. And this is not what it means to be an end-time Christian. It doesn't mean we go off the grid and we buy old military rations and we drink dehydrated milk. Rather, the preaching of Jesus presses the glorious promises made to Israel deep into our hearts. All the things Israel hoped for and waited for, we share in the now time. Israel looked forward to what? They longed for the forgiveness of sins. And what do we bask in right now? 
the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Israel looked forward to, they longed for the coming of the Spirit. Joel prophesies of it. What do we have right now? We share in the goodness of the Spirit. Christ has poured out His Spirit upon the church at Pentecost. Israel longed for the days of new creation. They longed for the day when the, when the desert so dry would be turned into a garden, lush and full. A new creation has dawned upon our own souls. The New Testament reasons from Jesus' preaching throughout. We live in a time of fulfillment. And because of Jesus' preaching, Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, now is the favorable time. Now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And Paul can reason Ephesians chapter 1, and he can celebrate that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul can boast If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what is Jesus' ministry all about? What unites Jesus' ministry? It's about bringing fulfillment to all of God's promises. We now can take a second bite out of our big definition. The kingdom of God is the climax of Israel's end-time hope that God himself would come and reign over them in salvation and judgment. Emphasis on God himself. When you look through the scriptures, at the very center of every Old Testament and joy and hope was the reality of God's presence. What made the garden so good? It was the nearness of God himself. What was so good about the promise that came to, to Abraham? Well, it's God himself. God spoke to Abraham and said, Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What was so great about the Exodus story? What's that center of it all? Well, it's these words that the Lord speaks to his people. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. What was so beautiful about Jerusalem? Well, it's the temple. And what was so beautiful about the temple? the very presence of God himself. Psalm 84 sings and reminds us, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Conversely, when we look at the Old Testament, at the center of every despair and trouble is the absence of God's presence and nearness. The psalmist cries out, Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. The psalmist cries again, When you hid your face, I was dismayed. We can look through sin and rebellion and we see the great consequence in the garden. Israel's rebellion in the land is exile. They're not near God anymore. It should be no surprise to us when Isaiah describes the content of good news in Isaiah chapter 52, he does it in terms of God's presence. He writes and he reminds his his hearers, your God reigns. And even more to the theme, he writes, for eye to eye they shall see the return of the Lord to Zion. This is the very theme that the Lord Jesus picks up when he starts preaching in Galilee. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
we have to be clear this morning. The kingdom that Jesus preaches is not an abstract feeling that we, that we feel within our souls. This kingdom is not an ethic or a principle. It's not a society that men and women make or advance or promote. But everybody who heard Jesus' preaching that day in Galilee would have understood what Jesus meant very plainly and clearly. Jesus preached the very near and present reign of God. So the great question then is we hear Jesus' preaching. He proclaims the gospel of God, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The question is, where is this God? Where is the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? When we look into our text this morning, the answer lies before us plainly. Jesus can say the time is fulfilled. He can say the kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus has come, because he is present. When Jesus preaches about the kingdom of God, he does not point away from himself. He doesn't point up at the sky. He doesn't point to someone else. He doesn't preach like John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. Rather, when Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, he is proclaiming himself. He is proclaiming his own kingship. He announces his own arrival. He announces that salvation and judgment will be found only in his works. We can ask this morning, what makes this kingdom greater than the days of Noah? What makes this kingdom outshine even the sun and the moon? What makes this kingdom so much happier than any wedding celebration we've been to? It's the king of the kingdom. It's Jesus Christ, the son of God himself. And Jesus is at the very center of the gospel of Mark. Jesus is the one who saves. He is the one who heals. He is the one who redeems. Jesus is what makes the gospel so good. Even more than this, Jesus is what makes Christianity so good. Jesus is the joy of all joys, the good of all goods. And he is the treasure that's held out to us again and again and again in the gospel of Mark. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom, when we look at the rest of the New Testament, the writers hold forth Jesus Christ to us again and again. They preach his eternal and weighty significance to us. Peter can testify in the book of Acts this way, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And Paul can point in his preaching, in his letter to the Philippians, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So what is Jesus' ministry all about? What unifies this? Well, Jesus is God himself drawing near in salvation and judgment. He is the very present reign of God. We can take our third bite this morning. The kingdom of God is the climax of Israel's end time hope that God himself would come and reign over them in salvation and judgment with the ultimate aim that God would be glorified in all things. We have to look carefully at our text this morning. When Jesus comes preaching in chapter 1, he doesn't come preaching an indefinite kingdom or a bland kingdom. He has a definite message. The gospel, he declares, is what? 
It's the gospel of God. And the kingdom he preaches is the kingdom of God. And these words, these precious words, reveal the aim of Jesus' ministry, the aim of his preaching, the aim of his healing, the aim of his acts of mercy, his cross, his resurrection, is all aimed at the glory of God above all things. And Jesus, at all points of his ministry, asserts and reasserts the worth and the weight of God. Jesus' ministry and the kingdom of God that he preaches falls in line with the great aim from the very beginning of the scriptures. It doesn't matter what part of the canon you find yourself reading in, you find the aim of the kingdom clearly expressed. If you find yourself reading in the writings of Moses, we can ask Moses, why the exodus? Why the plagues? Why all of this? And Moses will answer us, for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, the Lord tells us, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And if you find yourself reading in the prophets, you can ask, why does the Lord speak good news to people? Why does the Lord forgive sins? Why does the Lord judge? Why does the Lord save And the prophets will answer you, for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. Yahweh says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your own sins. And this is the message spread across the prophets, for my own sake, for my own sake. And if you find yourself reading in the Psalms, You can ask, why did God create? Why does God do what he does? And the psalmist will answer you with one accord, for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And if we bring ourselves this morning to the very end of the scriptures, we find the great result of Jesus' labors. We can ask, where does Jesus' preaching point? Where does his healings point? Where does his redemptive acts point? Where does the cross bring us to? Where does the resurrection bring us to? And the scriptures answer to the glory of God and the glory of God alone. John tells us of this stirring scene in the book of Revelation. This is where everything is going. This is where the kingdom of God leads. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. After this, I looked And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What is Jesus' ministry all about? Where is it going? Where is it heading? The glory of God and the glory of God alone. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee 
proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the climax of Israel's end time hope. And Jesus fulfills all of these end time hopes and he brings them near to the people of God. We live in the times greater than Noah. We celebrate with greater celebrations than any wedding. We have a greater light than the sun or the moon. That God himself would come and reign over them in salvation and judgment. And the Gospels announce, Emmanuel, God with us. Behold Jesus Christ, the Son of God. With the ultimate aim, that God himself would be glorified in all things. What is this kingdom all about? Well, it's about gathering a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and ushering them into pure and holy worship of God and God alone so that we might sing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so the kingdom of God has come. Jesus Christ reigns. And what shall we do with this news that the Lord Jesus Christ pronounces to us this morning? How shall we respond to this Jesus and the kingdom? There is only one worthy response to the kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Jesus commands us this morning in light of the fulfillment, in light of these great days, that we would bow our knees to him and him alone that we would swear complete allegiance to him and that we would follow him wherever he goes. That's what's demanded of us this morning and it's good news to our souls. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we exalt you this morning. The preaching of Jesus is so good to our ears. It's a time of fulfillment. The day of salvation has come and we rejoice. We are happy. We are made glad by the preaching of Jesus. We cry out with the book of Revelation, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to you, O God, forever and ever. Amen. And Father, this morning as we hear, as we've heard Jesus is preaching, we don't want it to go in one ear and out the other. Pour out grace upon us that we might be a people who repent and believe and follow Jesus wherever he goes. Do this for us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.